You're Good listening to Cockadoodle News on WUSC FM and HD1 Columbia. This is your host, Leah Robinson, and here with me is my co host, Sarah Hudock Jeffrey, and you're listening to Cockadoodle News. If you're listening and you have an opinion you'd like to share, you just want to chat, you can call 803-576-9872. That's 803-576-WUSC. If you can't reach us on the phone, feel free to reach out online. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching WUSC News. And if you need to get in touch with the station, the number is the same, but the handles are different. So you can find the station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching WUSCFM. For those of you that may or may not know, this is w- WUSC is currently in the middle of our fall crowdfunding campaign. As a nonprofit student-run station, each year we need to raise $14,000 to maintain our operations and keep us on air. Our goal for this semester is to crowdfund $5,000, and we need the help of all of our amazing listeners to reach this goal. If you would love to donate, please go to WUSC.com and click the donate tab and just donate however much you however generous you're feeling we'll take one dollar we'll take a hundred dollars but we're trying to reach five thousand dollars for this semester and like i said we're a nonprofit organization so we have to reach all of that money raise all of that money by ourselves um, also, as a part of our fundraising weekend or week, we are having a radiothon this Friday. It starts at 12 noon and goes to 12 midnight. We're going to be on air. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned in. You're definitely going to want to hear it. For those of you, you may know Rosie James, our other newscaster. I know she's going to be doing some fun stuff on Friday. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that. So diving right into our first story today. I saw a very, very intriguing article on ABC Columbia, and um, for those of you that may or may or not know, a carbon footprint is the amount of carbon dioxide and other carbon compounds emitted due to the consumption of fossil fuels by a particular person, group, or et cetera, organization, anything. So... This was so surprising to me, and it was to Sarah, too. Yes. You would never guess what is contributing to um, not just, like, our personal carbon footprint, if you are someone that um, suffers from this, but just the entire... um, Emissions? Yes. (laughs) Everything's just, like, the whole thing. It's asthma inhalers so um i have asthma i just found out that sarah does too asthma gang yes (laughs) and i remember growing up or whenever i was a little girl i thought that i like had like this rare thing Mm -hmm. um but growing up i realized that asthma is actually very very common and the world health organization says that 235 million people worldwide suffer from asthma so that's a huge number, and 
to think that asthma inhalers are contributing to their well what's happening is specific asthma inhaler and they're the meter dose ones are um actually releasing greenhouse gases and um so they comp- they contain a liquefied compressed gas and it's the abbreviation for it is HFA. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but <laughs> it's actually a greenhouse gas itself and it's acts at a, at, it acts as a propellant to pump the drug out to the patient. But um this study was actually conducted by the University of Cambridge in Britain. And researchers found that individuals with asthma can reduce their carbon footprints by switching to greener alternatives of inhalers. So, um, f- actually, 4% of UK's entire carbon footprint is made up of inhalers. And 7 out of 10 of the 50 million inhalers prescribed in England in 2017 were meter dose. So, that means, I mean, I just feel like those are all huge numbers. And yeah. I feel like you're a big fan of environmental talk and things like that. And so I don't know. This was just interesting to me. And um, another thing that was interesting was that, of course, the well, not of course, but the greener alternatives are sometimes more costly. So that just kind of made me think, like, are we thinking about the environment? Like, are we doing things that, you know, You know, could we do things differently? What do you think? Yeah, this is really interesting to me. Whenever you first told me this, I was completely shocked, still am, that 4% of the UK's emissions are from asthma inhalers. Like, that's just absolutely wild to me. And I totally relate to what you, you know, growing up, I also thought it was like a weird thing that I had. I didn't realize how, you know, common it was for people to have asthma. And, you know, the fact that it's it's adding to the emissions to that level is just absolutely crazy to me. And I wonder what it is for the U.S. and worldwide as well. Um, And personally, you know, I my asthma isn't super severe, so I only really have an inhaler for emergency situations. I'm not I'm not puffing every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if um, I guess people with more severe asthma do have to use it every day or on a regular basis. But the fact that it's more expensive to use the more alternative version, I feel like is a really common theme in any kind of, you know, environmental issue uh, is a lot of the times it is more expensive to be green and to isn't to cause less waste. So it kind of causes a little bit of a dilemma because that means that, you know, and even I I know from personal experience, you know, the inhalers that I've had, I didn't even know that there was another alternative. Mm -hmm. I've always had the, the, the meter you you said. Meter dose. Yeah. And that's for people who don't know what that is. I think that's the one with the canister. Yes. That's the canister. And so I didn't even know there was an alternative and even the canister ones are really expensive. Like I remember Growing up, I would lose my inhaler a lot, and my mom would always get so mad at me because of how expensive they were. Yeah. And you also have to get a, a prescription from a doctor, and it's this whole process just to be able to, like, breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I that makes – that's really disheartening that it's – you know, I, I – do you did you find like the numbers and like how more how much more expensive it is to do the the alternative version? Um, I didn't, but the thing that's interesting is I've had both, and oh, really? I yeah, and I really 
I mean, obviously, like, didn't really know this, so I didn't even notice a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And I think maybe I've just gotten, like, samples here and there, mm-hmm. which I guess would make sense. Like, I'm actually, um, yeah, no, that's definitely true. I recently went to get a meter dose one, and they actually went generic. They oh, really? used to be, yeah, they used to be really, really expensive. I am like, really? I puff every day. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I like have severe as mild, mildly severe asthma. I'm does not, does like, it get dying, worse during the winter? Because I know mine does. Just like a lot of things make it worse. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm someone that's like active and things like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, like if I run, then it's going to make me need my inhaler and things like that. Yeah. And, just other things but um i recently went to get a meter dose one like i said they went generic so i think they were something like 30 dollars really that's crazy but (laughs) um i needed a i got like sicker over the winter Mm -hmm. sometimes whenever i do get sick like over the season change i do have flare-ups and that makes Mm -hmm. my asthma worse yeah and so in that case they'll usually prescribe me like the dry powder ones and those are more like $80. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it definitely is a difference. Oh, wow. So so did you know that you had asthma your whole life? Or? Yeah. I was oh, like wow. born with it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I found out when I was six. So it's just yeah. like, yeah, it was like I woke up one day, like couldn't breathe. <laughs> and so I had to go to the hospital and they were like, yep, you have asthma. And really? so ever since then, it hasn't been a regular thing for me, like everyday kind of thing. It's just like every once in a while it'll just everything just lines up right and it'll happen Mm. so um but yeah it definitely gets worse during the winter but um yeah to people you know people like you and other people who have to use it every day you know like this is definitely a pressing issue because you know we all i i think we should all be striving to reduce our carbon footprint um but at the same time like we all have to you know we all have other things we have to pay for and you know if it's not is it covered by insurance do you know Usually, um, the powdered. I'm kind? not positive. Okay, okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully it is, and hopefully, you know, um, I, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad you brought this issue up so that more people can be aware of this. Yeah. Um, because I think you know, no matter no matter how small, you know, every single thing that we do to help reduce our carbon footprint and to be kinder to the planet makes a difference. Whether that's using less plastic or composting or you know any using a different type of asthma medication you know Mm -hmm. i think anything we can do to help is you know going meatless mondays like whatever it is like it's gonna help the planet and it's gonna make a difference like if and if everyone does their part like we'll all make a difference so yeah and i think it's definitely just like to see like you said how kind of a little thing this is and i Mm -hmm. feel like we are constantly maybe talking about like little issues and it's like how many like little issues can our planet take it's slightly like frightening to me you know what i mean just to think that like asthma inhalers is something that is releasing like greenhouse gases and stuff so it definitely makes me want to be more aware definitely Definitely. makes me want to like go green do anything that i can to you know know what's green what's not yeah exactly and i actually do kind of want to look into like the u.s numbers and things yeah Yeah, i want to ask my doctor about that yeah (laughs) yeah i definitely want to look into this as well um you know i i really hope i'm I'm glad i didn't even know this this was like a green versus not issue so i'm you know it makes me wonder how many other things that 
you know, I'm that I'm missing that I'm right. doing that are contributing to global warming or any other kind of environmental impact. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought this to my attention for sure. Right. Yeah. So that was a little bit of environmental news, and I think Sarah has some politics news for you. Yes. So yesterday was a really big day, as I'm sure a lot of you are really annoyed about seeing everything about the election day yesterday. And so, yeah, election day yesterday was an off-off-season election, so a lot of people were just kind of like, I feel like it's especially people in our generation tend to not really focus too much on the off-season elections because they don't seem as pressing or, you know, as important as like a big presidential election or even midterm elections. So I thought that it would be really interesting or really beneficial to do kind of an overall recap of everything that happened yesterday. So... Yesterday, there were a lot of decisive victories. A lot of really important stuff happened. So, according to the New York Times, for the first time since 1993, Democrats now control the House, Senate, and the governor's office in Virginia. Additionally, Democrat Attorney General Andy Bashar defeated Republican incumbent Governor Matt Bevan for the governorship in Kentucky. Additionally, several other states and candidates have made history. So, Currently, the Virginian Virginian results show that there are now 21 Democrats and 19 Republicans in the Senate, and 54 Democrats and 43 Republicans in the House. Under Democrat Governor Ralph Nordham, the Virginian state government will now be able to press for more gun control measures and raise the minimum wage, as these measures were previously blocked by legislative Republicans. This victory is really interesting because earlier in the year, Governor Nordham and two other statewide Democrats were pressured to resign due to scandals. Governor Nordham basically said he uh, first admitted to using blackface when he was younger and then later denied it. So there was a lot of controversy about that. And I don't have my note. I don't have anything in my notes for the other two Democrats, but they also had scandals that where people were forcing or trying to pressure them to resign. So. Um, the Rep- Democratic Party had to recover from these setbacks, and in order to do that, they basically likened the Republican incumbents to Donald Trump. And they also criticized them for their inaction regarding gun control following the mass shooting in Virginia Beach in May. So Governor Nordham, um, who, like I said, who has admitted and then denied wearing blackface as a young man, said that now he vows to broaden access to health care, improve public schools, combat climate change, and pass gun control legislation. Gun control legislation. So going to Kentucky, um, Andy Bashar is currently winning at 49.2%, closely followed by Matt Bevan at 48.8%, and the libertarian candidate John Hicks trails at 2%, and 100% of the precincts, pre- precincts have been counted. So far, the deeply unpopular incumbent Bevan has refused to concede. Bevan's unpopularity stems from both his controversial policies and personality as he has made efforts to cut Medicaid and pensions for public school teachers. After he made these claims and basically tried to make these efforts to cut pensions for the teachers, they went on strike and Bevan made the very controversial remark that because of the striking teachers, the school children would be left vulnerable to molestation essentially blaming the school teachers in case some sort of sexual assault happened to the children, which, you know, personally, I have no idea why he would say that or why he would liken those two things together. But yeah, no, it it caused a lot of controversy and it caused people from both sides of the aisle of Kentucky to definitely to 
very much so dislike him. So on the other hand, 41-year-old Bashar's father was also a Democrat. He was very popular and well, well, very well liked in the red state of Kentucky. He was actually governor for six years and the predecessor to Bevan. So during the campaigning, while Bevan largely focused on his allyship, allyship with President Trump, Bashar focused on attacking Bevan's policies, stances, and controversial remarks. While some could argue that Kentucky is now leaning more left because of this, with the victory of Republican candidate David Cameron for attorney general, who is the state's first black attorney general, by 16 percentage points over Democrat Gregory Stumbo, and the victories of the Republicans winning every other statewide race in Kentucky, you can argue that voters aren't rejecting the Republican Party, just Matt Bevan. The win also reveals that the president's popularity alone isn't enough to convince most Republicans. After the win, Bashar stated, Tonight, voters in Kentucky sent a message loud and clear for everyone to hear. It's a message that says our elections don't have to be about right versus left. They're still about right versus wrong. And Bevan afterwards stated that, quote, there have been a few there have been more than a few irregularities, but he didn't offer any specifics on what these irregularities were. So going to Mississippi, Republicans managed to capture the governorship. Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves defeated Attorney General Jim Hood by five percentage points in an open seat race. And the victory reveals that despite Hood's popularity across party lines, conservatism runs deep in Mississippi. And basically, Hood was kind of known as this Democrat who Republicans liked, independents liked. He was kind of just like overall really well liked. And he only lost by five percentage points in a very deep, deep south kind of state. So I think that's that is still pretty interesting to look at. So in addition to David Cameron, the other candidates across the, can- across the nation have also made history. Democrat Ghazala Hashimi was the first Muslim woman elected to the Virginia Senate. And in Arizona, Regina Romero was headed toward victory in the Tucson mayoral race, becoming the first Latina and the first woman to lead the city. So overall, I think there were several trends in the elections that reflect the current polarizing political climate. Republicans in red states tended to frame their campaigns as an act of loyalty to Trump, whereas Democrats in blue states tended to tie their opponents to the president. So basically, both Republicans in red states and Democrats in blue states are both largely focusing on Donald Trump. Additionally, Democrats running for governor, like Bashar, tended to steer clear of associating with Democratic candidates and with with, with the impeachment inquiry, instead focused on state and local issues. Republicans running for governor attacked their opponents for their party's effort to impeach the president and more or less sought to make the red states a referendum for Trump. However, the opposite can be seen in Virginia, which is the only southern state that Trump lost in the 2016 election. Republican candidates distanced themselves from Trump while Democrats embraced and encouraged the plethora of Democratic presidential candidates to campaign with them. Furthermore, voters demonstrated the rural-urban divide between Republicans and Democrats. For example, in Kentucky, Bashir largely secured his victory with his popularity in suburban and urban areas like Louisville and Lexington. Campaign-wise, Democrats sought to localize their campaigns by focusing on their opponents' issues unique to their individual states, and suburban candidates tended to focus on local issues like filling potholes and their willingness to distance themselves from the National Democratic Party stances on some issues. On another note, the New York City election results proved very interesting as well. So there were five ballot questions, and they were all approved by voters. The most important 
personally, I think the one that deserves the most attention right now is one question that, you know, I think could help spur a national ripple effect. It is the introduction of ranked choice voting. So a lot of people were talking about this question before it was voted on. And, you know, I personally was very interested to see what was going to happen. And the voters in New York City with uh, 73 percent passed this proposal. So essentially, ranked choice voting allows voters to choose candidates in order of preference. So instead of having three candidates and choosing your only your top choice, you would have you could have three candidates and choose your first choice, second choice, and third choice. So if one candidate receives 50% of the vote, they automatically win. But if no candidate receives 50%, then the worst performing candidate gets eliminated and their votes are redistributed to the voters' second choices. This system will be used, so quote, from New York Times, this system will be used only in primary and, sec- and special elections and will apply to elections for mayor, comptroller, public advocate, borough president, and the city council. So yeah, like I said, the proposal passes 73% support and it will debut in 2021. So as one can see, there were a lot of really important things that happened yesterday. And I think it just goes to demonstrate the importance of local elections. So what do you think about all this, Leah? Um, I definitely agree. I think that local elections are important. Um, I always feel guilty whenever I talk about this because I feel like I'm not in- involved in politics as I should be. But um, I just do remember like reading things yesterday about how the local election did, you know, make a big difference. And obviously, you know, uh, I know that like, the Senate and the House and, like, things like that, you know, um, work together with the president. So, like, that is essentially just as important. Um, Mm -hmm. It's interesting that we don't really think of it as important when it it is, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also being in South Carolina, which is such a deeply, deeply red state, you know, it... It would be, you know, I think a miracle if we were able to flip both of our House and our Senate. Um, So I think it's really interesting how Virginia is the, you know, is becoming increasingly more and more blue. You know, Kentucky is obviously very, like South Carolina, a very red state. So I think, you know, the fact that in such a red state, you know, a Democrat candidate was able to win just goes to show First of all, how much people did not like Matt Bevin. Like like I said before, he made those really horrible remarks during the teacher strike. And, you know, I, I know that you're a substitute teacher. My mom is also a teacher. And, you know, I, I just can't even imagine. You know, during the teacher, any kind of teacher strikes, of course, I fully support because, you know, I've seen firsthand, you know, the fact that teachers are not paid well enough. Right. And Matt Bevin was willing to cut not only Medicaid for, you know, all of the residents of Kentucky, but pensions for public school teachers. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me why he would go after them like that. And also liken their striking to not caring mm-hmm. about the kids' well-being and bringing yeah, up such a something that sensitive... really just doesn't even have any... Yeah. Just doesn't have anything to do with one another. Yeah, how did you feel about his remarks about that? I mean, I, just, I think that's, you know, disgusting. Yeah, you know, to I think, agree. Like you said, like, teachers have a right... Um, anyone has a, a right like anyone that works has a right to strike exactly. and I definitely think that teachers are underpaid and just um 
I, for one, personally know how much, like, teachers, like, care about their students. So of course. to make a remark like that and to say something, you know, just in the completely, like, and just in an, such a negative light and mm. for you to be, you know, a leader, um, it's just... It's just, it's not okay that people in, like, high positions say things like that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I'm just wondering, like, when did that come become okay? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, it, it, is, it is also interesting to kind of look at his strategy. Essentially, his entire strategy for campaigning was to liken himself to Donald Trump. In fact, I didn't. This wasn't in the New York Times article, but I remember hearing about this. Um, I don't know if you listen to the What a Day podcast by Crooked Media, but uh, they talked about um, they talked about him as well about Matt Bevin, and apparently he at one point bought a jacket that had Donald Trump's face all over it, um, which I mean is just I think he was just doing it to antagonize people, but at the same time, like he spent money on that, like he he used his own money to buy that jacket. And um, I don't know. I don't really personally see the point in that. I think he was basically going on the fact that, oh, Kentucky, you know, Trump won Kentucky. Therefore, everyone here loves Trump. I'll just be Trump and I'll Mm -hmm. win. Like, that's what I think what he was going for. And he wasn't really focusing on the state issues. You know, um, uh, Beshar was like focused, like focused a lot on like, helping teachers and improving health insurance and um, also specifically on gun control. You know, like I mentioned, um, uh, so yeah, he was yes, focused a lot on gun control as well as the Virginian Democrats, you know, with the shooting in Virginia Beach and the fact that Republicans had really no action mm-hmm. um, after that, you know, because Republicans dominated, uh, dominated the House. And I think Democrats attacking that and focusing focusing on the issues both in Virginia and Kentucky was really integral to their success. Um, you know, I think Republicans likening themselves to Trump, as we can see, isn't necessarily going to win every time. So I think that that gives some interesting perspective on what's going to happen in the um, in the presidential election as well. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like especially with the election coming up, I feel like you know, that's not the thing to do. You know, yeah. I feel like it's definitely like take your own stance. Yeah. Be your own person. Yeah. Have your own platform, things like that. Um, yeah. So I definitely wouldn't have, you know, considered that a good. I would think that a good candidate, you know, wouldn't want to just be like the next person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I would think that they would want to actually. And like you said, like actually focus on the issues, pay attention mm-hmm. to you know, the state at hand or the area at hand. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's good. I feel like that's really good that he, you know, that things turned out the way they did. Yeah. What, what do you think about the ranked choice voting in New York City now? Um, I think that that's actually a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because, you know, it gives you options. And I like how, you know, like you said, like, um, if it's not what 50% then you get eliminated and then because I guess if the person would get eliminated and then mm-hmm. they would like you wouldn't have to vote again right they no. would no yeah. Yeah, yeah so I feel like that's a really good way to kind of get like you know what mm-hmm. I mean a kind of different set of numbers yeah um and however many times they need to 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can also kind of just compare the choices, see what people think of each candidate mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think that's something good. I'm, it'd be interesting to see if that's something that we bring here. Yeah. Um, Maine actually has already instituted the ranked choice voting system. Um, I don't I don't have, you know, in my notes exactly how long they've been doing it for. Uh, but I know basically what was happening is there were three candidates for two elections in a row where the Democrat, um, so the, the Democrat basically got like less percentage points than the Republican, but then there was a third candidate, an independent, who was more left-leaning. And if you, if you count up the amount of votes that went both to the Democrat and the left-leaning independent, it would have beaten the Republican in Maine. And so um, and that happened with the uh, the governor race, I'm pretty sure. And so the, that happened twice in a row. And so Maine Democrats were like, we're getting screwed over, basically, mm-hmm. because, you know, more people are left leaning, but the Republican is still winning. And that's why they wanted to introduce the ranked voting there. Um, so and also something that it I remember uh, I remember reading about it and Maine and people in Maine were talking about how it actually has led to less hostility between the parties because if you think about it if you're a candidate and you want to you know if you can't get someone's first choice if you could be their second choice that would still help you in the end so whenever you're campaigning instead of being super hostile and attacking the other candidates and being really negative you're more inclined to be more positive maybe more like you know we may disagree on certain things but i agree with you on other things and it kind of i think Mm -hmm. leads to more more well-balanced politics and and less polarization, which I think would be a really great thing for this current climate. Definitely. Um, It definitely would be something to explore, if anything. I feel like we have nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, and New York City, you know, it's a, you know, while it's not a state, it's a huge city. And so I think, you know, looking at Maine and looking at, you know, really diverse New York City, it's going to be really interesting to see how it affects the political climate in general. So, you know, and possibly it could lead to other cities doing the same thing. So, you know, I think that's definitely, I I was, uh, to me, I was super, super interested in that. And I'm, you know, I think it's really impressive that the New York City voters voted for that. And with a 73%, like that's a really high approval rating of that measure. So it shows that people are really um, excited about this new type of voting. And I I think it could lead to really great things personally. Yeah, hopefully we'll have more news on that. And hopefully, you know, we'll see like where that goes if it comes here. Yeah, Um, definitely with the election that's coming up. um, Actually, I doubt that it would be something maybe (laughs) an act that would be like, that quick but I think I think it's something that you know I think candidates could be talking about really? you know um, I mean that I don't would be know very interesting I think you know there's so many issues have already been talked about and I think candidates are still struggling to some candidates are still struggling to kind of separate themselves from the pack so yeah I you know yes, I was gonna say I feel like and you know this may be even just I could have just been a kid looking versus an adult but I just feel like before there maybe was kind of like one kind of standout person you know Mm -hmm. it was like you kind of always knew and it just seems like recently it's been very tight you don't know so I actually think that rank um what is it rank Rank choice choice voting yes I actually think that that would be something that a we need Mm -hmm. um I think that that would 
you know, it, and it would put less pressure on us as voters as well. Yes. Because that way yes. we wouldn't have to, you know, be like, okay, we have to vote for this one person. We can be yeah. like, well, I like this person for, you know, this politic. And, you know. Yeah. And I think it'll it'll also add more power to third parties, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, I think that the two-party system, as we've seen, has led to, you know, not alone, but has been an a factor to the insane polarization right mm-hmm. now that this country is experiencing whether like you know democrats in theory hate republicans and republicans in theory hate democrats you know and usually third parties are left behind because you know in a in a in the tra- traditional voting if you vote for a third party you know you're you know and let's say you vote for green party your vote is basically going to the other side because you know, it, that's just like that's just the way it's been working. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, if third parties are going to gain more prominence and if they're going to yeah. have more power in the country and third party candidates, if if they're actually going to have a chance in the future to win the presidency. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it will definitely be interesting to see. And you can definitely count on us to keep you updated on that news. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And please remember that this is our fundraising week and like i said we are a non-profit organization so we need your help to stay on air we're trying to raise five thousand dollars and definitely tune into cockadoodle news on friday 6 6 30 it'll be during the radiothon which is from 12 noon to midnight so like i said a lot of fun things will be going on there and if you're feeling generous please just go to the wusc.com and click on the donate tab and just donate whatever you can and just Help us stay alive because we love WUSC. So I'm Leah Robinson and this is Sarah Hudak Jeffrey. And thanks for tuning in. This has been Cockadoodle News.